sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 143. After approximately three months off, the PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour are ready to get back up and running again this week. I think that everyone is excited to get things back on track. It'll be different without fans in attendance, but everything is different in this day and age. Remember when complaining about the quality of the broadcast or ripping a commentator was a thing? Well, perhaps we can shelve that for a little bit and just enjoy the fact that we can flip on the television and watch some golf. I will definitely be tuning in this weekend. I'd like to see which of the best players in the world are picking up right where they left off. Before I get to this week's episode, the mojo is real. And in case you're not sure what I mean by that, well, you might be new to the podcast, so I'll explain it. There has been a consistent phenomenon where good things seem to happen to players after they come onto this podcast. It's kind of a running joke, but it seems to be a real thing. No way am I taking credit for any of these things happening to my guests. Truthfully, it's just nice to be able to highlight some of their achievements. So as we get ready to return to professional golf, Alex Smalley, former Walker Cupper, and I know that he loves that I have to say that he went to Duke, but Alex successfully Monday qualified into the Corn Ferry Challenge event at TPC Sawgrass this week. Sahith Thigala just keeps racking up awards. He picked up the Ben Hogan Award yesterday. So along with him winning the Haskins Award, it's clear that in this shortened season full of uncertainty, Thigala is the consensus male amateur and collegiate golfer of the year. Also, congrats to Andrew Larkin. He was my guest back on episode 71 when he was the assistant men's coach at UCLA. Well, Larkin has his own head coaching gig now. He is at Santa Clara, so congrats to him. We'll definitely need to catch up with him soon for another episode to talk about that transition from going from assistant coach to head coach. Just a couple housekeeping items before we get to this week's episode. The new shipment of Back of the Range logo golf towels are in. They're available on the website, two for $25. I'll put a link in the show notes of this episode. I'm looking for other merch ideas. I think I'll get some more trucker hats. Those seem to be pretty popular. But if you have any other ideas, please contact me. You can do that by, well, you can do that anywhere. Social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My email address is ben at the back of the range.com. You know I always appreciate you leaving reviews in Apple Podcasts. Keep doing that. And uh, yeah. Just uh, let me know what you think would be a good merch idea, and uh, we'll see if we can get that done. My guest on this episode is Ron Jaworski. If you're a casual fan of professional American football, I have no doubt that you are already familiar with Jaworski's accomplishments. After a 17-year career in the NFL, spent primarily with the Philadelphia Eagles, he moved into broadcasting where he was a fixture at ESPN and also joined the team on Monday Night Football. Jaworski was also a part owner and team president of the Philadelphia Soul of the Arena Football League. Like many former athletes, he'll do some motivational speaking engagements and has been involved in other business ventures. But why is Ron Jaworski on the Back of the Range Golf Podcast? Well, Ron owns and operates golf courses. Yes, that was plural, golf courses. In fact, right now, Ron Jaworski Golf owns and operates seven premier daily fee golf clubs in South Jersey and Pennsylvania. That's why he's on the back of the range. During this episode, you'll learn how Ron got into the golf business, his core values and principles. You know, most of us, when we're at a golf course and have questions or the occasional complaint, who do you talk to? Maybe the starter, the ranger, you know, maybe the guy in the pro shop, but the owner is someone you may not have access to. Well, I had full access in this episode, and Ron answered some questions that I know I've had in the past, and I'm sure they are similar to questions that you have had as well. So let's get to this episode right now with Ron Jaworski. Welcome to the back of the range. May I call you Jaws, sir? 
Oh, please do, Ben. Everyone calls me Jaws. <laughs> well, I appreciate I appreciate you joining me, and um, yeah, I'm kind of letting listeners know when we're recording because we're you know as you know as well as everyone else, you know we're kind of stuck in the middle of this uh, coronavirus pandemic, and life has been turned upside down. So it's uh, it's Wednesday afternoon, May 13th. That's when we're recording, and uh, your your spot on this podcast uh, came very uh, was very fortunate to make the connection via. One of my previous guests, Megan Stasi, who uh, kind of grew up in the same area where you live, Voorhees Township, New Jersey. So uh, explain this connection between a Pro Bowl quarterback, Eagles Hall of Famer, and a four-time U.S. Women's Mid-Am champion. How is the connection of – how did that connection happen? Family. Uh, Megan grew up with my two daughters. She was literally uh, my third daughter. I also have a son. She spent that much time with us and our family. Uh, the Megan Bolger, her maiden name family was yeah. very close to us. So we, uh, we hung out all the time. Our kids played not only, you know, basketball, baseball, soccer, golf, uh, they were together all the time. And obviously Megan, uh, became a very accomplished golfer, one of the best, uh, uh in amateur history. And, uh, hell she can still play the game very good right now. Uh, but so that's that's kind of the, that's kind of the connection to Megan. Yeah, she's uh, she wants to get out and play some golf with me this summer, which just sounds like why don't I just go down to the restaurant and just give you money? That way you'll get my money, and then I can maybe get some food out of it instead of me just giving you money on the golf course and I don't get anything <laughs> out of it. So, well, I, I'm gonna kind of actually ask you one of the first questions I asked her. Voorhees Township is 15 minutes away from Pine Valley. She's played it. Have you played Pine Valley? Uh, many, many times. Okay. Uh, and, and it, it, I, I've been very fortunate as an, an NFL player for 17 years an ESPN analyst for 28 years, uh, uh, to have a lot of good friends yeah, and, uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, been invited over there many, many times to play. Uh, as you said, it was 10, 15 minutes from where I actually grew up here and I grew up in Buffalo, but I spent my most of my playing career here in, in, in Philadelphia, which is just across the river to Voorhees, New Jersey. So uh, actually one of the courses I own, uh, the Valley Brook Country Club, I drive by Pine Valley literally every day, um, about a mile and a half from the gates to Pine Valley. So uh, uh, in the same area, but not quite the same golf course as Valley Brook is Pine Valley. So uh, I've been fortunate to, to play many times at Pine Valley. And every time I go there, it's a real treat. One of the one of the great golf courses of all time. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of a, a pinch yourself kind of moment when you get to get through that gate. Uh, that gate is just also for people that have played it or have have know someone that's played it. The gate is something that's discussed too, because for as well known as that course is, and historic and mythical almost, it literally looks like you're going into some sort of a unknown storage facility with some random guard gate attached to it it does not live up to the hype of the actual facility well it's it's kind of interesting uh i still recollect the first time i went to pine valley um you, you have to drive by a an area called clementon park which is an amusement park yeah uh and now it's a pool club and everything else the water slides and i remember this now this is going back to the late 70s and I'm going to meet uh, my host, Cy Eastlack, who actually lived on the fifth hole uh, at Pine Valley. And I was his guest. He was a, a car dealer. And he gave me directions. I passed the amusement park, and I drove about a mile. And I said, I must have got the wrong directions. There's nothing back here, you yeah. know? <laughs> so I drove about another half mile, and there I saw the railroad tracks and the entrance to Pine Valley. So uh, it was a hard place to find, but certainly well worth it. Now I know exactly where it is. <laughs> And and I must say, there there have been two places I've been nervous at the first tee. Okay. Uh, and, and you said you know, it's mythical when you go to Pine Valley. It's regarded as the best golf course in the world by many. And I was I was nervous at the first tee, as I was at Augusta. So those are the two courses that I said, man, these are really special, special places. Well, I'll I'll definitely ask you a follow up on some of on your Augusta memories, but right about now we're you know we're a couple minutes into this podcast and or this episode, and I've done over 125 episodes, and you know people that follow the game of golf they'll recognize some college players, maybe a pro or a, a USGA champion, and right about now my listeners are kind of wondering why is Ron Jaworski on a golf podcast. Not that we can't have a good time and talk some golf, but you know, I'm a casual fan of the NFL and I'm talking like, you know, shirt untucked, six pack in the golf cart kind of casual. And um, 
I know you could probably give me your analysis of every first round draft pick this year and go into a full on dissertation of the nickel and dime defensive packages, but I need to keep this around golf. So let's, let's actually dig into why we're talking golf to a, a pro bowl quarterback. When did you first start getting into playing the game? And then we're going to talk about your incredible involvement with the game, uh, you know, for the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Yeah, I actually started playing the game of golf when I was nine years old. And I grew up uh, in a city called Lackawanna, New York, which uh, borders Buffalo, New York, on the south. So uh, the season is very short, as you can imagine. A lot of, a lot of snow up in Buffalo. Sure. Uh, and, and there was a nine-hole golf course called South Park, which was uh, uh, not far from where I went to school. Kind of a stone's throw uh, when you uh, break out the doors and start walking your way home, there's a golf course. Uh, if I decided to go play golf, I would start on the second hole because I couldn't afford to pay the greens fee to start on the first hole. Perfect. So you would, we would, we would sneak on the golf course, pretty, pretty plain and simple. So that was where I got my first indoctrination into the game of golf. And, and, and I loved it. I thought it was a very fun game, a competitive game. I still remember there was a, a par three over water that played about 110 yards. And I remember the first time I hit it over the water, I was like a kid in the candy store. I made it, I made it, I made yeah. it, you know? And it just kind of, you know, when you have success in golf, it just motivates you to want to have more success. And I got hooked on the game. Uh, and and as, I, as I got into professional football, obviously a few, many years later, I really found golf was a great way to relax. And, and as a player, our day off was Tuesday. And, and as you can imagine, there's tremendous pressure week in and week out to perform on Sunday and the fans and the media and all the things you have to deal with. And Tuesday was our day off. And that was my golf day. I would just get away from the fans, the media, a couple players and I would go out, a couple friends would go out and just get away for a day and clear my head. So uh, I, I found it a, a, a great way to relax and just get away from the hustle and bustle of being a professional football player in a very demanding city like Philadelphia. How did you, okay, so now that sounds completely normal for any professional athlete, you know, I know, especially like Major League Baseball, I think it's well known that that pitchers, you know, kind of gravitate together and get out and they're hitting golf courses uh, all over, uh, you know, when they're on road trips. And, and I know that it is very popular with professional athletes and that's well and good. But then you get into this end of owning golf courses. Uh, I think you've owned at some point in your business career correct me if i'm wrong but are we talking about 25 golf courses is that about right that's correct owned operated leased uh, managed uh, in that regard uh over the years i started in 1979 uh, when i was still playing quarterback for the philadelphia eagles at the time and uh, i was fortunate enough to realize uh, the nfl career can normally be pretty short yeah. the average career in the nfl is 3.1 years uh, i was fortunate to last 17 years as an nfl quarterback and make some good investments in the golf business. And, uh, you know, presently I, I own and operate seven golf courses, five in southern New Jersey and two in Pennsylvania. I must admit this, though. Uh, my wife and my son do most of the heavy lifting. <laughs> I just got, You're just the I, pretty I just face. Kinda, You're the pretty face. I just kinda, yeah, I, I just kind of handshake and uh, make sure that the greens are rolling real nice. You okay. know, as I'm, as a, as I'm take, walking around, I'm, I'm probably the only guy – that has a step meter in their bag that plays golf. So, okay. uh, so uh, I do uh, like to get the speed of the greens and just talk to my superintendents. And, you know, through the years when, you know, when you've been involved for like 41 years, like I have, you get an incredible appreciation uh, for the superintendents, for the golf pros, for the maintenance people, for the restaurant people, uh, for the ballroom people. It's a, uh, it, it's an, it, it's a hard business, but it's one that if you do it right, it can be rewarding. Now I'm just thinking back. Okay, so seventy nine, eighty. You is this? This is when you first you own your first club, or you start getting into it. Is that correct? Is that about? Yeah, right? actually, nineteen seventy nine. Seventy nine was the first one, and uh, we had leased a club in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, called the Eben Club, and I had a partner by the name of John Bunting, who was always also an Eagles linebacker. And we were kind of like looking for something to do, you know, to, uh, in the off season, maybe what retired or something. And we found this club and it had a, actually had a nine hole golf course, but it was more of a swim club, tennis club, racquetball club, more an amenity based club rather right. than a golf club because only nine holes. Uh, but there was a golf pro there by the name of Hugh Riley, who really became a mentor to me uh, in the golf business. 
And uh, then uh, about two years later, we, we leased another golf course. And I really liked the business. I liked the people. I liked the, that aspect of it. And in 1984, uh, I purchased my first golf course, which uh, uh, I called Eagle's Nest Country Club, which was in Sewell, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I paid $1.6 million for the golf course. And, 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 Ben, here's where you really learn the business. When you put up a million six, you learn real quick how to operate and then surround yourself with the right people. So, you know, when when, when there was skin in the game, uh, that's when it became very, very important to me. And I became very focused at that time. Now I'm looking back or I'm thinking back, okay, early eighties, you're the, you're the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, really rough blue collar town. How does it go over? I know you said you had a teammate that kind of was going in on it with you, but I'm just guessing you got, I think Vermeil is your coach at the time. You have all these rough and tough guys. How does that go over when they find out their quarterback bought a golf course? Are you kidding me? They love me even more. Okay. They knew all they right. could play for free. Okay. They could play for free. That's <laughs> they all got the they all got the VIP card, you know. I was hey, they were well taken care of. They didn't have to pay for the rounds of golf anymore. And it, 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 it's kind of funny. I mean, as you know, you know, there are so many professional athletes that, you know, play golf. Sure. I mean, we're going to see, we're going to see Tom Brady and Peyton Manning with uh, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson playing in, in a couple weeks in their match. And, you know, I played with those guys. I, I run a celebrity golf tournament every year. Tom Brady has been to my tournament. So golf is a great way to bring people together as well. So um, I actually got to know a lot of my teammates very well by spending time on the golf course with them rather than a quick hello in the locker room. Sure. What, uh, now let's, I, I really, well, I don't hate to do it. I'm going to do it anyway, but let's, let's see if we can, if I can get you to roll on one of your former teammates. Did you have a teammate come out to one of your, to your golf course that you're like, Oh gosh, this guy's going to tear this place up. He's never played golf before. And he's just out here just doing God knows what. I mean, I'm sure that there were some tense moments at times when you have teammates just rolling out and they don't maybe know the first thing about golf. No question. I'll give you the real life example of that. Perfect. Uh, and, and now still one of my best friends, Mike Quick, who is yeah. our Eagles wide receiver and Eagles Hall of Famer as well, uh, does the broadcast for the Eagles uh, radio network. And, and, and Mike lives about a, a driver and a, a nine iron from me right where I live right now in New Jersey. And uh, so the first time when Mike came to the Eagles, I think it was 1982, uh, we went out and played golf. And he was pathetic. <laughs> and I'm like, this guy is one of the best athletes you'd ever want to see. Right. And, uh, you know, he came and hit the, he came and hit the golf ball. Well, you know, Mike's one of those guys when you tell him, boy, you're not very good at that. That just lights his fire. Right. Cause he wants to excel at everything he does. And before you know, him, Mike was at the golf course every day, oh, honing no. his skills, just trying to get better. Uh, and I think to this day, he's probably a three or four handicap. And by the way, he is now a member at Pine Valley. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so hello. So you can see he's honed his skills, but here's a guy that couldn't get the ball airborne. And now he's like a three handicap playing out at Pine Valley. So, and, and you know, there are other stories like that. You know, I mean, I had the Julius Irving play and he couldn't, I mean, first of all, he, he's the slowest player I ever played with. Okay. Dr. J. He had one of those stand up putters, you know, that you see yes. him every now and then. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you'd, you'd play with him, and he would get behind the putter, and he'd line it up, and he'd walk back and circle it around and line the putter up again. Uh, and he was a member at, at, at a club also in Philly called Squires, and uh, his nickname was Sundown. Yes. Because no matter when he started, he finished at sundown. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. so everyone, there's always these cool stories about a lot of guys I play with. <laughs> well, uh, make sure you tell Mike Quick I'm a big fan, big fan of his. You know, just yeah, no, he's, he's nothing, an awesome guy. Nothing yeah. to do with his membership at Pine Valley. Just tell him I'm a big <laughs> fan, huge fan, lifelong. And this is really interesting because I know, and we're going to get into. I want to definitely talk about kind of your business. Uh, principles with running and managing golf courses because I think, you know, it seems simple, but it's it it obviously it's something that doesn't happen to every single club. But you know, most professional athletes, when I think of them getting involved with businesses, you think of maybe them slapping their name on a restaurant or a car dealership. And I know wine's the big thing now. Um, I think you're involved with Ditka and cigars, and you have other business interests. But um, why why did you feel 
and I guess you've answered it already, but you get into this business that really you have to keep an eye on. It's not just lending your name. Were there any moments of trepidation about getting involved in this during your playing career? Uh, none whatsoever. Um, I, 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 I jumped in feet first. Um, my wife was on board. Uh, I, I have a, a son who, who actually went to Delaware on a golf scholarship, and he pretty much uh, runs the day-to-day business along with my wife, like I said a, a few moments ago. Um, but, you know, he was still young at the time, and my wife was raising the kids when I got into it. So I was kind of the guy that was kind of leading the charge until I was able to trick my family into getting involved. Because, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, it, the, the golf business – and everyone looks at it and says, man, I, that's a hard business. How do you make it, Shaw? How, how can you do it? And, and I, I can proudly say every golf course that I managed last year had a bottom line profit and a distribution to uh, some of my partners and investors. And by the way, I got investors like Joe Flacco from the Baltimore Ravens, yeah. Denver Broncos, and guys like that that, you know, when I sit with them and give them my model and my pro forma, they're willing to invest money with me and they get a return. Uh, so they're very happy about that. And I take that their faith and confidence in me very, very serious to make sure that I do give them a return on their investment. So, uh, the, as I said a moment ago, the golf business is hard and I'm committed to it. And I got a staff that's committed to it. And, you know, I, I am always active and looking and reading and studying what my competition is doing. How can we get better? And I've got a flat-out model that I believe works. And some people may not want to do it the way I do it, but it is my model. I, my clubs are not private. They're all semi-private models. Uh, so I think that is what works from the golf side. And I do have a sports bar uh, in all but one of my facilities called Seven Tap Tavern. Uh, obviously, my number was seven, so kind of worked. Perfect. I call it the Seven Tap Tavern. And uh, there are sports bars that do very, very well. But I, I, I will also throw this in. I think one of the keys to our success has been the wedding industry. Um, last year, we did 357 weddings in, in the company. Wow! Uh, this year, we were scheduled to do 360. Uh, well, we had to reschedule but almost 100 already because of the coronavirus, which right. is a, a huge setback. But that's the model that works. There are no lost leaders. You know, the range has to work. The pro shop has to work. Uh, the, the, the bar and the pub have to work. The social events, the weddings all have to work. So that means you better, you better hire quality people. And, and, and if there's a skill that I have in the business, I, I, I think I've got a good knack for surrounding myself with quality, competent, good people. And I let them do their job. Well, you know, the one thing I want to hit on is, you know, you have, I know you have these four pillars that you kind of believe in. So I, I kind of want to hit upon all four of them if I can, you know, their, their playability and affordability and atmosphere and quick pace of play well you know you just hit on atmosphere with the sports bar and with keeping it at you know keeping it fun where i'm guessing you can watch a lot of games and then also making it family friendly as well talk to me about playability and how important that is you believe not just at your courses but what is your general philosophy on playability and the you know keeping the game sustainable in the future of the game well, uh, everyone talks about you know wanting to be you know tough championship style courses and 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 you know that's a nice mantra to have and, and you know hey we call my courses championship but uh, and and some of them are harder than others but I, but I think there's a way that we approach it that is very user friendly you know there's always going to be a group of players that are the good players a single digit and they want to go back to the tips um, and and there's a certain aspect of that is if if, if you want to make your money and run a business on that group, you're going to be broken about six months. Yep. There aren't enough of those good players. They just aren't. So you've got, you, you got to find a product that the players will come out and they will enjoy. And, you know, uh, rather than say ladies or seniors, which uh, we know the golf industry as a whole is trying to get away from that, you know, we approach as the slower swing speed. And so if you look at how ladies have been treated in the golf industry, it's, it, 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 is, it is abysmal how they've been treated. Golf courses that have been built and they put the ladies' tees at 5,200 yards. And if you compare a lady's swing speed to a man's swing speed, that's like a, a, a man playing an 8,000-yard golf course, which is ridiculous. Right. So, so what we try to do is, is make our courses friendly to the slower swing, swing speeds where they're playing 4,200 yards, 4,400 yards. The average, say, woman or lower swing speed hits the ball 140 yards. Okay, so let's put a 380-yard par 4 in there. 
they're hitting four to the green. That, 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 that's why, you, you know, some of the people that have designed these golf courses never attracted the women to their golf courses, and they are an integral part. The younger kids, why are we putting them at five and 6,000 yards to play the golf course? We're turning them off to the game. Right. They can't make a par. So put them up at 4,000 yards and play with their dad where they can, you know, they can have a, a, a good round of golf. Senior golfers, why are they playing 6,500 yards? They can only hit the ball 200 yards. The game becomes unfriendly to them. So I've initiated all my courses, user-friendly tees, where you can come to the golf course, play in four hours, four hours and ten minutes, have a, have a nice round of golf, don't get beat up by the golf course, enjoy your round, and go in and have a beer and a sandwich and enjoy yourself. Makes perfect sense. Um, and I want to ask you about this pace of play. Now, my feeling on pace of play is this. I, I've, I've played rounds where – I've played in three minutes and 55 or three hours and 55 minutes. And I felt that I've been rushed around the golf course where I barely had a chance to have a conversation or, or, um, you know, maybe take a second look at a putt. And then I've played rounds that are four hours and 20 minutes where most people might think, wow, that's way too long. And it's flown by and it's been all about the company. It's been great. How do you keep pace of play paramount, but also not have it adversely affect, you know, the, the enjoyment level of the round. Well, I think you make the, make that experience crystal clear at the first tee. And, and one of the uh, backbones of what we do at, at my golf courses is when you come to that first tee, there will be a starter there and he will explain the rules to you and the pace of play in a very warm, friendly way, but at least they will be explained to you. So you understand what the rules are. Right. Uh, so you're not surprised when a ranger comes out and there's, you know, two holes open in front of you and you're not keeping pace with the group in front of you. And, uh, we do have a starter and we have a ranger on each nine holes just, and they're not there to, 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 to rush you, to push you, just make sure you are keeping pace. And when you come off that ninth green, you'll be spoken to, Hey, you're right on schedule. You're, yeah, you're doing a great job. They keeping up that group for the, enjoy your round guys. Keep, keep, keep it up. Great job. So I think it's important that people understand, you know, what the rules are and, and they, they're not surprised when Rangers say, would you mind catching up with that group in front of you? Because they're not going to say, oh, I didn't know you know what the pace was. Well, they knew damn well sure what it was because they were told at the first tee. So uh, that's what pace of play is, is about. Now, hey, there are days, and you know, you notice that you know we have gap matches, where, which is the you know the best players say in the Philadelphia region, and yeah. you know we know we're not going to get four hour rounds that day. Those guys are going to play in five hours because they're very competitive and they're very good players. But we understand that, and we pace our you know when they play, we adjust to it. We have certain tournaments, we adjust to it. I'm, I'm just giving you from a normal pace of play. Uh, when we're going to run 200 rounds on a weekend, we need to push people through. You just said previously that your courses turn a profit. Your uh, your investors are happy. You're happy. The people that are at your golf courses are happy. But you also said that not everyone has the same belief system as you do. Why haven't other clubs adopted your policies? Have you had – I'm sure you're involved with golf course uh, – I think it's the Golf Course Owners Association um, – I'm not correctly uh, stating the name, but I think you know exactly. Yeah, that's a national. There's a National Golf Course Owner Association. Okay, okay. Uh, I do a lot of work with them. Yeah, there's yeah, a New yeah. Jersey Golf Course Owner Association. I mean, there are there are a number of groups that do a tremendous job of promoting the game of golf and doing it the right way. But my biggest problem has been how I've seen some people operate, and, and, and it, you know, if you're committed to being successful and you're willing to work at it you can be successful in this business. Now I've always believed as well. You can't overpay for a property because if you start out behind the eight ball, you never get away from that. Okay. So, uh, I I've always been fortunate enough to, to get, get good properties that had upsides, but buy them at the right price. And I'm, you know, I've got a model, uh, that, that I just plug in the numbers and, and, uh, I was looking to buy two more golf courses before this coronavirus hit. So I'm a little bummed out right now. Oh. Cause I, uh, I'd spent well over two years looking at these properties and analyzing them and, we had, re- had come to terms, uh, and all of a sudden the coronavirus hit, and nothing's happening right oh, now. Wow. Um, but, you know, it'll pass. All things will pass, and we'll see where the market will be in a few months. But uh, I've got a model that works not only from an operational standpoint, but for, for what I will pay to use that model. What is and and let's let let's take Pine Valley and Augusta National out of this equation, but yeah, uh, you got that right. Yeah, well, about to, well, no, no, I didn't mean those are the two courses you're trying to buy. I mean, if that's true, then we really are now best friends. But um, the thing I was going to ask you is, if you take out the um, 
take out Pine Valley, take out National, but over the years of all maybe um, the, the courses you've played, whether it be in a pro-am or a fundraiser or traveling around the world, around the country, what is, you maybe share a story about a club that you saw an amenity or you saw some sort of a feature that you immediately was like, wow, I got to take that back to my courses. I love that idea. I never thought of that. I got to take that back. Has there ever been a situation like that? Uh, yeah, there was. Um, I had played Oakmont quite a few years ago okay. and then played it after they removed all the trees from okay. Oakmont. And, uh, you know, still one of the great golf courses in America. But I, I you know, and after talking to, when I was at Oakmont, talking to members and people in the pro shop, and you know, I'm there. I'm I, I like to schmooze, you know. So I'm trying Shocking. to find out things. And, Shocking. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I realized then, it, you know, when I take you know all my questions back to my superintendents, we start talking about the agronomy of a golf course and you know why Oakmont did what they did, and you understand why because it's hard to grow grass when roots are popping up through the grass and you get no sunlight and no air circulation and you're losing your turf. Uh, it, boy, it, you know, you think about it, it makes just great sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, the nutrients in the water are eaten up by the big trees and your grass dies. So, you know, it just makes sense. So I took what I learned from Oakmont and not that we, we did what they did at Oakmont, took out a lot of trees, but we began literally a tree program at most of my courses where we had trees that were, uh, you know, ruining turf on greens and fairways and tees, but also what was a, a 40 yard fairway had become a 25 yard fairway because the trees had overgrown, uh, and just had, had grown up. So it's, it, it's something that now, uh, in, in the wintertime, I spend a lot of time with, I have an executive superintendent by the name of Charlie Clark. And, you know, we talk about all our, he oversees all of them. And we talk about, you know, one of the, we'll take a few days to talk about our tree program. And, uh, it's, it's, I think it's something now as I, you know, go to the national golf course owner association meetings and talk to the other owners that are there. Everyone's aware of that now. So it's, it, this was probably 15 years ago, but it's, you know, sometimes it takes a while to catch on, but it, it, it certainly did. And it certainly had an impact on my golf courses. It's incredible. You know, I, I'm thinking about all the different opportunities that you have with playing the game. And it's almost like, yeah, you're going to work on your game and have a nice round. But it's almost like it's a continuing education program for you. You get to go to golf courses and pick up different things that incorporate back into your business. I'm trying to think of how many other businesses are like that. You know, if you're a restaurant owner, I can't imagine that you're able to get out and go to a bunch of different restaurants all the time or car dealerships or anything like that. But every time you go play golf, you have the ability to pick something up different that you can incorporate into your courses. Oh, I can be a pain in the butt. When I, you know, <laughs> hey, I will tell you what, what. One of my favorite places to go was down to Pinehurst, and, and it's to me, oh, it's you yeah. know, it's golf. It, it, and I know you know Pebble Beach and Bandon Dunes are all great places, and and but I'm just hooked on Pinehurst, and so I go down every year. Uh, and fortunately, I have a, a group of guys from the R.J. Reynolds company that I go down and play with, and and it's just a phenomenal four or five days down there. And whenever I go down. All my superintendents know that I'm gone, and they can't wait till I get back because I'm going to just burden them yeah, with here, all, ki all kinds of ideas. Here, here I, yeah, here comes Jaworski. Yeah, yeah, here, okay, yeah, yeah here, here comes Ron. And, and you know, now with the phone, I got eight thousand pictures of everything I want to do. <laughs> here comes Jaworski with this yeah, new tree yeah. he wants to invent. Great, that's okay. right. And I say, yeah, you, you've got no money, but I want to rebuild this screen. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, but that, that's what I love to do. And I love to go, I, I love playing different golf courses, seeing how they do things and try to integrate them uh, where people have had success into my operations. What's your favorite time of day on a golf course if you're not playing? There is absolutely no doubt about it in the evening. Um, I, I, it's, it's pretty much when I walk the golf course. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, uh, all my golf courses are within driving distance of my, my residence and you know, if say I'm in the office and then stuck in my chair all day or at my computer all day, you know, five, six o'clock, I'll just tell my wife I'll see in a couple hours. I'll just go walk nine holes or I may walk 18 holes and, and, and I'll do it alone. And I just love not because I, I, if I'm playing golf, it's a different mentality. Right. You know, you're thinking of yardage, where you want to hit it, that sort of thing. And I love to walk the golf course just for the, the sheer beauty of mother nature and hearing the birds and, 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 and just being on the golf course. And I look at it and from a total different perspective and I'll say, you know, okay, now I see this tree. Maybe we trim that one up or, Hey, maybe this, this bunker is too big. We need to oh, trim the edge of the bunker. Like I said, now at 
with a phone in my pocket. I take a picture and send pictures to my superintendents of what I think we should be doing. Uh, as the sprinkler heads are oscillating, I'll watch the sprinkler heads. Are we getting the right coverage? So I, 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 it, it's a really good time for me late in the afternoon to walk the golf course. That afternoon nine, I mean, I, I'm playing them. I'm not walking the course, but the, the afternoon nines are, are always, uh, yeah, those are those are kind of my favorite. You know, everything that you're saying about your experience owning these courses, managing them, uh, you know, that's in your, your business career, you know, everything sounds smooth and perfect. You just pick up golf courses left and right. You got your four pillars, no problems. Every, you know, well, that can't be true. I mean, you've, you've spoken of it, hard work and, and analyzing these opportunities. Um, most of my listeners probably have never spoken to a course owner. You know, they'll talk to the pro in the shop and maybe the starter, you know, guys in the cart barn. But what is maybe something that is a misconception that the average golfer thinks they know about the golf business that an owner like yourself could, you know, <laughs> gently say, all right, you're, you're completely off base. This is actually a, a real challenge or, uh, you know, something that they may not realize that is, is clear as day to you every single day. You know, the one, the one thing that comes up a lot wh where I get in debates with it's green speed. And you know, th th there it, it, it's, it's consistent everywhere. I would probably say, unless you're at Augusta or Pine Valley, your green's too slow. No matter where, no matter. And I hear it every, the greens are too slow. I said, you know, um, what do you think they are? Well, what do you mean? I yeah. said, well, you, 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 I, we, we measure the speed of the greens. You know, and uh, well, you know, it, uh, they're they're not close to what they need to be. Well, I said, do you do you know what they need to be? And I think there's a misconception about green speed. The greens at my course, for the most part, are probably ten, ten and a half. Now there may be days where you had rain the night before; they're a tad slower. You may have aerated, and the, uh, it hasn't filled in yet. We may have sanded, which we do on a regular basis, just to keep the green speeds up. But the day you plant them, they may have been sanded. I mean, they're all, they're all, but people don't understand green speed. And I, I, I can always tell them, hey, guys, you know, I, I, I could give you, I, I can get these things at 12 and a half. I can get them to a 13. But remember this, we're cutting grass at 132nd of an inch, and it's 89 degrees out, and the humidity is 90%. You'll come back here in two weeks, and you'll have dirt to put on. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you will always come to one of my golf courses. You won't have 12, uh, and I'm not even sure – when you maybe the U.S. Open does that, but even most golf courses don't get to that because the grass will die when you you know you start getting your greens at that speed. So I think it's kind of a misconception that people have about green speed. I think you know good green speed is at ten ten and a half, and sometimes you get in the heat the heated conditions. You know you can take them down to a nine because you don't want to be cutting and rolling and hurting the grass blades. You mentioned earlier, uh, yeah, I, I think green speed is something that, yeah, you hear that all the time. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as they're rolling true. Uh, that's correct. That's yep. that, I care more about that. Uh, you get the greens rolling too fast, and you're not stroking a putt anymore. You're nudging, <laughs> you're nudging a putt. And, well, we'll have five hour. We'll have five hour rounds well, too. Because, yeah, you that, know. <laughs> yeah that, and that's the other thing. It, blow, it blows up your pace <laughs> of play, and you know. What you know, we're we're in this we're in this terrible time of of the coronavirus, and uh, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I I just played my first round of golf this morning in about two months. Um, what I mean, briefly, what what have you had to deal with, like strategy sessions? I'm sure you're speaking with with city officials, county, state officials. How have you dealt with this, Ben? It's been flat out awful. I I I, I can't think of a, a different word. Uh, I'm playing defense right now and okay. I don't like to play defense. Um, you know, I, I love the golf business. I love the people. Uh, and right now I, I can't love anything that's going on. Obviously the coronavirus is horrible. It's tragic. Uh, it's devastating. Um, but at the same vein, we have to live our lives. And, and I'm in probably the two, a couple of the toughest States to be doing business with in regards to golf right now in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, there are, you know, in, in New Jersey, we can only play in twosomes every 16 minutes. I might as well not even be open because I'm losing money every day. Yeah. At least in Pennsylvania, we could play foursomes, uh, so I'm not getting hurt as bad. Um, but fortunately, you know, the government has been stepping in. Uh, the bank's been stepping in. I mean, I, I'm going to take a hit this year, and everyone in the golf business is going to take a hit. So we might as well, you know, we, we, we got to, you know, tighten our belt and look at it and start re forecasting numbers what it's gonna be like the rest of the year but hey we're not alone 
you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are, are going to be hurting. The golf industry is hurting right now. And anyone that tells it differently is lying. My business is down 60% right now in May. Wow. And we remember we just got open uh, May 1st and 2nd. We were closed for 40 and 41 days. So we went, you know, in, in Pennsylvania, Jersey, 40 and 41 days with zero income. It's hard to be successful. I don't care who you are with zero income. Now I did keep people on to maintain the golf course at pristine condition. So I was paying payroll and, you know, keeping people working. Um, but now with the government restrictions, I, I just can't get enough rounds to, to, to make it worthwhile. So, um, you know, right now where it, it, it's awful, it, it's ugly. And you can talk to any golf course owner at the present time. Uh, you know, things have to change or, uh, it's going to get uglier. Well, I know one of the highlights of your year, I think you've done it for over 30 years now, the, the Jaws Celebrity Golf Challenge. I believe it's still planned for the end of June. Um, is that, I mean, forget about coronavirus for one second, but is that just one of the, and that's got to be the highlight of your year as far as just yeah. what you were able to do for the community and just bringing all these people together. I look through, I believe it was 2019's photo reel, over like 1,500 photos, and every one of them is full of smiles and laughs and, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the pairings party and, and raffles, and you have cheerleaders from every university. By the way, that's brilliant. I love that. Cheerleaders from every university around yeah, that's right. the area. <laughs> I like that touch. And then mascots and all sorts of stuff. But, I mean, talk to me about That's got to be your favorite weekend of the year, right up there at least. It's it's really fantastic. Now, unfortunately, uh, we begin discussions to reschedule. We are going to be the 28th and 29th of June, but uh, with the uncertainty right now of the coronavirus uh, in Atlantic City, uh, we're going to probably look to August or September to run okay. that event. And and I've been doing it now for 36 years. Wow. <laughs> 36 years. And uh, we've raised over $5 million for my foundation, uh, which helps at-risk youth in our community. We build ball fields. We build playgrounds. Uh, got uh, young people, nutritious food. And it's just uh, it's really the the keystone of all the fundraisers I do. And I get uh, it's been sold out every single year since its inception. I get great support not only from the business community, uh, but all my friends that are professional athletes, not only football players but basketball players, hockey players, wrestlers, skaters, skiers. Uh, I get tremendous, tremendous support from the uh, from the community as well. So, um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that because it really, if, if there's something that I I get incredible enjoyment from, it's when I go to a ribbon cutting on a new playground that that yeah. we've been able to build for uh, some kids in Camden, New Jersey, or you know, go in in Center City, Philadelphia, and open up a ball field uh, that we just put a brand new you know, turf field down for, for the kids to play on and cut that ribbon. And to see the smiles on these kids' faces, uh, uh, it's priceless. That that means so much to me. And it's funny, every year, like at the end of the tournament, because, you, you know, it's a grind for a couple of days. You're, you're working. I oh, got sure. some staff that's phenomenal. It's like, I'm done. I'm not doing this again. And then a the week later, all right, let's go. We got to do it again. Yeah, uh, yeah you know, that, that's quick, always Quick like... turnaround, let's go, you know. Uh, but for one second, I think about, now nah, maybe I'm done, but I realize how, how much good that we do. And uh, just to see those kids with a smile on their face uh, motivates me to let's go do it again. Well, I, I know you're an emotional guy. I saw your reaction when the Eagles finally won their Super Bowl recently, and I know you've been a part of that organization for, gosh, since 77, I think, is when you are trade over there. And uh, I know that owning these golf courses gives you a lot of joy and obviously huge success in the business world and entrepreneur. I know you do speaking engagements as well. And, yeah, turning profits are important, and we've talked about that. But can you maybe share a story about a time or an event that really kind of brought you immense joy that would never show up in on, on a balance sheet? I know we just talked about the the charity event, but, you know, maybe you just being at, a, at, at one of your courses and you just pop in and see, you know, a wedding wrap up or, or just anything like that where, you know, you get the, you have the chance to own these facilities and I'm guessing you are just privy to all sorts of special moments that, like I said, it's not going to show up in any sort of a balance sheet that your investors are going to see. There's been many of those moments, by the way. and it, It's hard to single of one, course, but, uh, but I, I think one pops into my mind because it's probably a, a recent one, which maybe a lot of people will remember. As you know, just a couple of years ago, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And uh, I have a club uh, in, in Mount Laurel, New Jersey called Ramblewood, and I was able to get the uh, – uh, the Vince Lombardi trophy. So we, we had the trophy 
at Ramblewood. I made an announcement. Anyone wants to come by and get their picture taken with the Vince Lombardi trophy, please do. Well, we had 1,500 people in line to get their picture. <laughs> and, 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 and it was, uh, it wasn't just, you know, uh, kids from nowadays, it was grandpas and grandmas from, from 70, 80 years old that are wow. great Eagle fans that just wanted to hold that Vince Lombardi trophy. So, um, you know, th- those are the kind of things that I'm able to do that, uh, co- that, that cost me nothing and cost our, our, our guests nothing. You know, it, it wasn't a $5 charge. It wasn't a $10. Right. It was just come on in. We're, we're, we we want to be part of your community. My All my golf courses are in communities uh, where people support us, and it's not always about the dollar. It's about, you know, it, let, let's embrace the, the good things going on and the fact that uh, we had the Vince Lombardi trophy there for, you know, all those kids and parents and grandparents to get their pictures taken with, I thought was, was really, really, really special. It's one of those things you can't put a price on it, but a day doesn't go by where I don't hear someone comment about that. That's perfect. That's, that's really, I, I can't imagine it. You gotta, you gotta send me a picture of what 1500 people in, in line at a, at a golf in course. Line, at in a go- line. Right. At a picture taken. That, right. that, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. uh, I gotta see what that looks like. Um, yeah. all right. So I, I glossed over Augusta national. I want to ask you about that. And then I got one last quick one for you. I know you got a lot of, a lot to do, but tell me, you said you were nervous at Pine Valley and you were nervous at Augusta national. So walk me through your Augusta national experience, at least the, the first tee, you know, get, tell me a little bit about that, that special day. Well, there's always a story. I, I you know, there, yeah. working at NFL films for all the years I've worked, I, I learned from the great Steve Sable yep. and, and Steve would always say, Jaws, tell a story. People love stories, you know? So I, I got this great Augusta story. Uh, Archie Manning, who's a good friend of mine, Archie and I were competitors against each other for a lot of years, but also dear friends. So he calls me and he says, Hey, a, a good friend of mine, Lauren Smith from, uh, university of Georgia runs the state of Georgia athletic association. And, and they, they have a banquet and Lauren wanted me to invite you to come down and, uh, you know, if you'd see, speak at their banquet. And I'm like, ah, Archie, well, you know, what would they have an honorarium? Are they paying? And he goes, no, nah, they, they, they don't have any budget, but, um, he said, if you come down to speak to the, the group, he can get you out at Augusta the next day. I said, I'll be on. I, I'm booking my flight right now. <laughs> my calendar has yeah, suddenly freed it, up. It just opened up. I had never been to Augusta. It was one of those on the, the bucket list that I wanted to get to. I said, what's the date? I'm blocking it off right now, Arts. And uh, uh, so uh, I, I got to attend the, the dinner with Lauren Smith, who's an incredible University of Georgia alumni. Went and played Augusta the next day, and I can still – remember walking on that first tee and you know being a, not only a guy that is in the golf business but I love the game of golf and I love the history and tradition of the game and you know the master is clearly one of those that uh, you, we all watched on TV as kids growing up and you know I was out staying on that first tee and it, I, I probably had a lousy round I've actually played it three times uh, the third time was my best round the first time was the worst round because you know I was just reliving all those great oh, yeah. moments I watched on TV and my, my, you know, yeah, I was trying to play golf, but my, my God, it was just, I'm playing Augusta home of the masters. It was just an in, incredible, incredible feeling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the people there were just absolutely phenomenal. The golf course is all it's cranked up to be. I could just imagine you at Augusta national with your phone out, taking pictures and bringing it back nope. to the superintendent <laughs> saying, Hey, listen, <laughs> see this Creek. Let's get that done. Let's go. Hey, I got the rules before I went there. And oh, I, I bi- yeah, you can take a couple pictures, but I, I abided by the rules. I don't want to. I don't want to tick anybody off. Oh yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, I I feel that you know my listeners, my my golf nut listeners have uh, have been wondering why doesn't he ask a football question? You have Jaworski on the podcast. Let's let me hit him with something. So we're gonna leave this episode with this question. It's pretty much it's pretty topical with with what's going on today. So, so give me your thoughts here. You got Tom Brady with six Super Bowl rings, four MVPs, three league MV, four Super Bowl MVPs, and three league MVPs. He leaves New England to go to Tampa Bay. So, explain this to me. He's he's in the Hall of Fame. He's going to Canton. But in your opinion, is this a guy that just wants a change of scenery to play a little more football and be closer to Seminole or is he doing this be- <laughs> or is he doing this because he wants to win a title outside of Belichick and just kind of silence any doubters that might think he was just the product of of his coach and his surroundings. Well, Tom is arguably now I've been watching Michael Jordan uh, last dance uh, oh, stuff that's so and, good. and uh, 
and it, it's been so good. And, and, you know, Michael Jordan is so competitive and, and I've always said this about Tom Brady. He was the most competitive guy I've ever been around. You know, uh, that's just how Tom is. He's, he's fiercely competitive. And, and I think there's probably some substance, what you talked about, you know, he's been joining the hip with Bill Belichick. And I think he, he sensed now there at least is an opportunity. Although I did not think that that marriage would break up. I thought uh, it would end uh, with Tom, a New England Patriot. But for whatever reason, uh, you know, we'll find out why down the road, why sure, it, it sure. ended the way it did. But uh, I think Tom is so fiercely competitive. Uh, he just wants to go down to Tampa. And I think it's a it's a good situation with Bruce Arians and Tom Moore as the quarterback coach there. And the brain of Tom Brady. I, I, I think it's a, it's a win, win, win situation for everybody. And I think Tom will elevate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to uh, a team that'll compete for a Super Bowl. Can you, uh, can you imagine as a, as a golf course owner, um, can you imagine being in the, you know, at Seminole being Jimmy Dunn, president of Seminole and in walks Tom Brady and his guest for the day at Seminole is Rob Gronkowski. I mean, <laughs> can, can you imagine what that would look like? Yeah, they better tell Rob the dress code, you know. Holy cow! Um, yeah, make sure he knows there's no beer cart at Seminole. Um, who, do you, who do you like in this match? Uh, I think it's uh, it's uh, Tiger and Peyton against uh, Phil and and Brady. I believe is that how it, how it's lined up? I think that's how it's lined up. Yeah, Tiger, I think it's uh, Tiger. Yeah, and, yeah, Tiger and Peyton Manning against uh, Mickelson and Brady. So, and that's it. I think they're doing it at medalist. If I yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not quite sure what the format's going to be, but I I, I you know um, I play with Tom and Peyton both. I think Tom's a little better player, so they'll have a little bit of an advantage there. Uh, the the Brady team, the Brady bunch, we'll call them. Okay, yeah, I I think uh, I think so too. Um, yeah, that's boy. If that thing goes off where they're actually getting to t- talk some trash and it's mic'd up and we can, oh man, that could be that could be pretty epic. Oh, the, oh, oh, those those guys are some of the best right there. And I, yeah. I they they need to have an open mic and let them go. It'll it'll, it'll be well worth uh, listening to that. And God, we we're starving for some live competitive uh, golf on television right now. I know. Now. <laughs> well, we have, well, this weekend, I mean, you know, I know, I don't know when this episode is going to be released, but, you know, the next couple of days they have the big match at Seminole with Ricky and Matt Wolf against uh, DJ and Rory, and, and that's the that's, first time that that's ever amen. been televised. Amen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. Well, Jaws, um, as advertised, I, I really appreciate the time. I uh, knew this would be a fantastic conversation. I really, uh, you know, I don't get the chance to talk to a lot of golf owners and our course owners. And I really appreciate you kind of shedding some light on some of your uh, beliefs and just absolutely fascinating your journey in the game, not just playing it, but, uh, but helping to shape it and grow it for the future. So I appreciate you sharing your uh, thoughts and stop by the back of the range and uh, hopefully we do it again soon. You got it. Thanks, Ben. It's been a pleasure uh, being on your show. And there you have it. Special thanks to Ron Jaworski for joining me on this episode of the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Don't forget to follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode here at the Back of the Range is on our website, thebackoftherange.com. Enjoy the golf this weekend. Mojo activated for all of our former guests that are playing. And we'll see you again next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.